Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Jerry Fleming, CEO of Altagen Communications, Inc. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is ATGN on the OTCQB. The company is a leading provider of cloud-based customer experience solutions built on the Microsoft platform and designed to improve customer engagement and employee productivity in every aspect of today's connected world. Altagen delivers fully managed unified communication services offering hosted Skype for Business, Teams phone system, advanced cloud PBX, and innovative cloud contact center applications. Currently, approximately 90% of the company's revenue comes from their legacy business. And we happen to speak with Jerry at a unique time in the company's life cycle as they're looking to deploy their cloud solutions. We talk at length about how this will work using their partnership with Fiserv as an example, as well as the following topics why the company chose to build all their solutions on the Microsoft platform, building components to enhance the PBX experience, Altigen's go-to-market strategy, competitive landscape, allowing Microsoft Teams to be the PBX, and why Altigen took this route, and why competition decided not to build applications for the Microsoft Teams platform. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Jerry Fleming, CEO of Altigen. Welcome, everybody, to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Jerry Fleming. He's the CEO, President, and Chairman of the Board at Altagen Communications, publicly traded company. The symbol is A-T-G-N on the OTCQB. Jerry, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me, Bobby. Appreciate it. It's great to have you on. Now, I was joking with you mm -hmm. offline how, you know, we, I don't think we've actually personally met, but I feel like I, I know you because I've seen you presented, I don't know, countless events at this point. And, and I know you've been on, on uh, various newsletters that I also follow as well. So uh, I'm, I was really excited to finally get a chance to, to 
learn a bit more about the company and dive a little deeper today. So, yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. All right. So the first question that I like to ask everybody on here is what, what's, what does the company do in that one sentence? Can you, can you give me that one liner that uh, of Altogen? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, we've evolved quite a bit, but what we're doing today is we deliver cloud-based customer experience solutions built on Microsoft Teams. Very good. Now let's get into that history of the company. You know, uh, I, I know you, you're not the founder of the company. You came in in 2007, but from your understanding, what was the original problem Altagem was looking to solve and how has that evolved or changed over time? Sure. Well, originally when Altagem started out it was um, very much focused on a business phone system for very small companies, 10 to 20 employees. And uh, that they did a good job and um, very hardware-based system, always had a Microsoft-centric operating system, but required a lot of proprietary hardware. And um, as a result of that, the hardware didn't scale very much. So the, the niche for Altagem was selling to SMBs <clears throat> and you know, on-premise, one-time revenue, no recurring revenue. So the challenge was, how do you grow past that you know, in that model? And that's when, that's when I joined the company. So, so let, let's get go back to that experience. Or prior to you even joining in 2007, what what was your your background? You know, and then what attracted you to the Altagen opportunity? Yeah, the um, actually I was with, with a company called Interactive Intelligence um, for the ten years prior to coming to Altagen, which I would say is a had a similar view of Altagen, starting as an all software communications platform at about the same, same time Altagen started. But uh, with interactive intelligence, so uh, you know our, our goal there was to uh, sell into mainstream enterprise accounts, and so the the product was uh, developed uh, for that. Everything was at the company was built for that, and we successfully executed on that strategy. So um, and we IPO during that time. It was you know great for everybody. But uh, after exactly ten years uh, at the company, I was looking for you know just something different to do. So Altagen. Um, you know, was uh, came onto my radar and I contacted the founder and a couple of months later, we had a deal worked out and 15 years later, here I am. What, what were some initial thoughts about the business that ended up being completely wrong when prior to then joining in 2007? <laughs> well, I actually thought uh, in, in my early you know, conversations with the founder that the, the product was much more software centric than it was and more scalable because we could talk about those things, but it uh, turns out that it was very much tied to the proprietary hardware and um, very much not scalable into uh, small businesses. So that was not really where I wanted to go. So there was uh, some rough waters, I will say, between myself and the founder for quite a few years as I'm trying to get the company to go uh, upstream into the market. Well, I mean, talk about timing to join the company. So if I, my memory serves in my notes, you joined the board, uh, I think it was in April 2007, and then uh, uh, became CEO, or, or, or no, you joined as president COO yep. in April 2007, and then you joined the board in July 2007. I mean, what a time, right? Right before the GFC, I mean, all all hell breaking loose. I mean, what was that experience right. like? Like, oh, coming in, you know, we're going to re redo everything, and then everything goes to hell. Yeah, well, that was interesting for sure, right? So it was, I thought we had seen it all with the dot-com bust, uh, you know, 10 years or so before that. But yeah, we started feeling the pinch in 2009 when uh, Nortel, which was considered probably one of the premier PBS companies in the world, right, went under all of a sudden. And then um, many other companies uh, started going by the wayside. So yeah, it was, uh, you know, certainly difficult economic times. And 
we took our lumps there as well, but um, we came out of it, uh, unlike many other companies, but came out of it uh, looking, yeah, it was a great wake up call that we need to be an all software company and, you know, not spend so much money on hardware and be tied to that, uh, what I'll call a boat anchor. So where are we at today? Are we now, is there any hardware component at all? Or are we all software? Yeah, now it's all software. So our first uh, sort of our first objective was to get rid of all the proprietary hardware. And maybe should I just I should probably briefly explain what that means. So these are purpose-built computer servers that are big giant square boxes. And they have these slots in the back that you slide uh, telephony boards into, circuit boards. And they would, those circuit boards would either perform the voice processing or allow you to connect the telephone to the server. And so um, and those you know, the circuit boards themselves probably went for about $2,000 a piece, and you might need 10 or 12 of those plus a $4,000 server. Not much room left, you know, for profit in that model. So, uh, but as uh, things advanced, as Intel servers, uh, Intel processors became more powerful, we were able to eliminate um, the need for all that proprietary stuff um, and get rid of the hardware, first the servers, then the boards, and then, then the telephones themselves. So we are all software. At the same time, we went to uh, we started running on VMware or Microsoft Hyper-V on standard Intel servers, but that you know that was a, sort of the starting point to get rid of the hardware. And the next phase was now that we're hardware independent, we can move to the cloud and and host our solution in the cloud, running under VMware or today Hyper-V, and uh, deliver our solution as a service instead of a one-time sale. Got it. So what would you say, what would you say is Altigen's value proposition when you're reaching out to your target customer customer base? And how is that different from some of your peers in the space? Well, we have several different go-to-market strategies. I'll, I'll start with our team strategy. So with, with teams, um, essentially what I've been talking about is Altigen as a PBX company. With teams, teams is the PBX. So it required quite a major shift in our strategy. And instead of building the PBX, we built all the other components that enhance the PBX, uh, like call recording and call reporting, uh, call routing and queuing, uh, full-blown contact centers. We built all those applications. And it wasn't Teams at first. It was a product called Microsoft Link that evolved into Microsoft Skype for Business that evolved into Teams. And we had to stay with that program because the APIs were all different. And um, so that teams, um, we're finally there now uh, with our solutions. In fact, we've acquired a company to uh, help us out there and create some exciting new opportunities. We've partnered with a company where we have exclusive distribution rights for Omni General Contact Center. And now we're, we're really poised to, to take off on the team side. But there are a lot of customers that don't use teams, but I'll pause there if you have another question. Yeah, you mentioned, you said in that answer just now, the go-to-market strategy. So the, the mm-hmm. company, from my understanding, is, is generating revenue, but it's some of these newer products that you're now starting to roll out. So right. can you explain where we're currently at? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a very good question. So yeah, still 90% of the company's revenue is off what we'll call the legacy product. And that was the, I'll call the legacy product, the evolution from hardware to software to host it. And so we still have some, we don't sell licenses anymore. We don't sell servers or hardware anymore, but we still have customers running uh, phone systems on premise, sitting on a Dell or some Intel or HP server. Yet we'd like to move them to the cloud. So we're, you know, that's our, that's our charter this year. And we have an all new version of the PBX with full unified communications capabilities that will enhance our solution, make us more competitive in that SMB market where where the customers are buying the PBX solution or, or using the cloud solution. 
So, um, you know, we'll, we'll generate revenue that way, but that's also um, what Fiserv, our, you know, our, our FinTech partner does as well. So because we've built all these solutions and Fiserv wants to host them and deliver them fully integrated with their backend banking systems, they take at the software that we build and they install it in their data centers and they white label it and take it out to their customers as a Fiserv solution. So uh, we get um, a lot of ramp up from Fiserv as well because of that. I was that you just hit on my next question. So it was going to be on your go-to-market strategy, and so it sounds like you're going through a partner model versus just door-to-door kind of kind of sales. But I mean, I'm sure you have something yep. there too. Yeah, and it really depends. So it's it's different on all three. I'll call those each three different market initi- initiatives. One is our legacy PBX cloud and now cloud business, and we've had a longtime partner channel. We go pretty much exclusively through partners for those uh, SMB customers. With Fiserv, we go exclusively through them. Fiserv sells everything. Everything's on Fiserv's paper. And so they take it out through the hundreds of sales reps that they have. And then um, for the team's uh, business, we recruit Microsoft partners, so a new channel. And most of the team's business that we do is uh, through the Microsoft partners, although we also have some direct engagements with larger enterprise customers as well. You know, your Altogen is that it's that classic microcap you know, nuts and bolts, you know, things that can sometimes maybe for the lay investor, it's not totally clear about what the company may do, you know? Mm-hmm. So what, what would you say is the most uh, misunderstood thing about Altagen that you get from folks that maybe just heard the presentation or, you know, started to dig into the story a little bit, you know, what, what are some of those frequently asked questions? Well, I think probably the biggest thing is, is we're, we're kind of in the UCAS space. So we're, kind of competing with the likes of a ring center and eight by eight that everyone's heard of because they're quite large companies. And in fact, they've done, you know, they've done nice jobs, but uh, what I think what's hardest for investors um, to understand is our strategy with teams and that we allow teams to be the PBX and we just provide the other applications because it's not how anybody else does business. None of our, you know, none of what we would consider the competitors, but our view of the market is this and uh, teams has seen explosive, explosive growth. I mean, it's whatever the number of 175 million users, something like that, we will sell far more building applications on top of Teams, leveraging a Teams uh, entree into the account than we could ever hope to sell if I wanted to keep the $5 for a PBX license. So um, that's why, uh, but I think it's hard to kind of, because I get questions all the time, how do we compete with Ring Central? The answer is we don't, Microsoft does. You know, so that's probably the biggest challenge that we're trying to work on and maybe see if we can deliver our message more clearly in that regard. I see. Because, I mean, why why are your your competition, why don't they build on top of teams as, as their PBX? Is it mm-hmm. is it kind of that razor, razor blade model where they want to have their own platform and then sell their own applications on top of it? Is that the, the thought process? It's exactly right, Bob. Okay. And um, you have to make a decision. You're either going to be on teams or you're going to compete with teams because you have to give up all the call processing. Everything you've done in the past is gone. And we did make that decision strategically because we think it's a much larger opportunity, but uh, companies like ring central, you know, they've got their platform, you know, their data centers built out, everything's done. There's no way they can just rip and replace everything they've done and hand it over to Microsoft and say, we'll just be some up. We'll just put some apps on top of teams. All right. So let, let's look at that that market, the, the structure of that market itself. You know what, nope. in building on top of teams, what is the total addressable market for the customers you're trying to sell to? Well, they're, you know, their stats grow every quarter. So, um, 
It's somewhere around, I believe, uh, 175 million uh, daily active users on Teams. Now, that's the full-blown Teams product, and Microsoft sells. Let me point out, Microsoft includes Teams with pretty much every Office 365 license today. Well, now they've renamed it as Microsoft 365. So that Teams license is no charge. But for a customer then, and the reason I'll explain why I'm saying all this, um, for a customer to go to Teams phone system where our applications come in, then there are some additional licensing required. Uh, they have to license a PBX uh, component. They license a conferencing component and they have to get dial tone from somebody, Microsoft or a company like Altigen. So Microsoft doesn't publish stats on the number of companies that are using Teams phone system, just the number of companies that are using Teams. But um, the addressable market is, we'll look at roughly 650,000 organizations using Teams. My best estimate is about 10% of those organizations have moved to Teams phone system today. And they'll continue at least, and probably not even fully, but at least in part. And that will continue to grow over time. They'll continue to grow their Teams adoption. They'll consider also continue to grow their Teams phone system adoption, you know, within those uh, Teams customers. So, so no. oh, sorry, you're, you're, you're saying? I, I just would say, yes, my guess is that, you know, Microsoft will probably capture about half of the phone system market with Teams because they already have that on the desktop. And so our addressable market, and every company is not addressable, but if, if I'd say how the analysts look at it, my addressable market would be 50% of those Teams deployments or 100% of the Teams phone system deployments. But more, realistic, more realistically, some of those are in countries we don't serve, companies are too small, or maybe they're much too large and they're doing their own thing. But, um, but generally speaking, yeah, it's over 300,000 companies that are in that target market today. I mean, when we're thinking about macro um, tailwinds. I mean, has since you know pandemic started March 2020. I mean, was that a, a pretty big tailwind for the Microsoft Teams product itself? Because I mean, I know we went fully digital. I mean, we didn't use Teams. We we're, not, we're on Zoom, but we're you know we're probably right. a much smaller business than maybe some of your some of the people that you're selling to. So has that yeah. has has that been a macro trend that that you've seen and, and has helped push along um, getting your applications out there and whatnot? Absolutely. Well, it's certainly been good for Microsoft and for Teams, right? With the distributed workforce, then they need more communications tools at their fingertips in order to communicate, you know, with their employees that they could you know, or customers and they than they needed before. So yeah, that which so that's if you look at just the Teams growth, that's when it started to hockey stick in uh, 2020. Uh, as a result of COVID. And the work at home workforce, all the CIOs that we talked to, I mean, this is here to stay. They're, right. Some people will go back to the office, but work at home isn't ending anytime soon, which means that most companies, uh, when this happened, they had a stopgap and they had to do something just to support those users. Didn't have time to come up with a full strategy. And I'll give you an example, nothing against you know my counterparts at Zoom, but it was pretty easy just to license Zoom for 15 bucks a month, give that to your employees and, and they're done. But now, when they go back, now that that's all settled down and say, okay, we're using Teams that has conferencing, we're using Zoom potentially as conferencing, we're going to consolidate on a single platform. That's what we're seeing today. And as they do consolidate, and then they say, oh, by the way, I'm using Cisco as my PBX. Let me pick one common platform for everything. Uh, Microsoft is winning more than their fair share of that market, and that creates opportunities for us. Yeah. In choosing Microsoft, I mean, what was that process like? I would assume, and this, I'm 
you know, uh, this might be a big assumption, but I'm assuming that you had to work with them to not only build out the applications that you're going to be marketing and going to market with, but also get their approvals, you know? So what, what's been, what has it been like working with Microsoft, assuming that you're working with them as a partner? Yeah, we, we are certainly a Microsoft partner or Microsoft gold partner in, in the cloud category, which is you know, high as you can get as gold. But Microsoft is um, somewhat partner agnostic. I mean, their job is to make things available to everybody and let the partners, uh, you know, win on on their own strengths, which is fine. But um, when they when they came out, it's quite clear when Microsoft came out with their initial version of a PBX OCS, which was a conferencing server, and then to Link, Microsoft was getting in the game. Uh, we have a product built on Windows Server, so it's either <laughs> you want to compete with Microsoft or or do you want to figure out a way to work with them? And uh, we decided we'll figure out a way, a way to work with them. And competing with them didn't seem like a great strategy. And the, probably, probably, definitely, definitely a bit tougher, I'm sure. <laughs> so what, what is your, what's the competitive landscape look like within, I, I'm sure there's other companies out there that are also saying, okay, we'll do the same thing. We'll just build applications on top of Microsoft. So what right. are on top of Microsoft Teams? So what are, what, what does that landscape look like? Yeah, and I think it comes in a couple different flavors. So there are the, let's say, the tried and true contact center vendors. And there are a lot of very good vendors out there. And these are companies like public companies like Nice and um, Five9 or up and comers like TalkDesk. They have great products and they service a high end contact center and they integrate with Teams, but they don't integrate as well as we do. Uh, they have call, there's call recording companies building specialized call recording applications that now integrate with Teams. And then you have the PBX vendors like Bring Central that say they integrate with Teams, but they don't really. And uh, we'll get into that on our shareholder conference uh, next week. But um, so that's the competitive landscape, but all of them you know, sell with competing vendors. And we're the only one, we're one of the only ones that have a 100% Microsoft strategy. Everything we do is built on Teams. All of our applications are deployed in Azure not Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud. And so our value proposition really is for the reseller, work with one vendor to deliver all your communications requirements that your customers will have. And, and that's the same value prop for the customer. You guys have leveraged Mr. Customer, you're using three, Office 365, all of your data stored in Azure. That's where, we're, that's where we're at. We'll provide you with a more secure, higher availability, better integrated system uh, that's consistent with your Microsoft platform. And that's why somebody would choose us. Hey, Jerry, I got to ask what, because I'm sure you think you have to think about this, but what's your biggest fear with having that as the strategy? You know, because I'm sure that that might keep you up at night sometimes too. Like, oh my God, we're going to market like this. Like, you know, how do you think about that? Yeah, well, and that's fair. And you would have to be foolish not to consider, you know, what's what are the downsides? And, and let's face it, the biggest downside would be what if Microsoft tries, you know, decides they're going to do the same thing? And then, you know, my story doesn't sound as good, you know, suddenly, right? Now, they claim they're not going to do uh, the same thing. And so uh, we'll, you know, we'll take their word for it. But that's another reason with our uh, PBX strategy that we still, we do have an alternative um, that people will buy, um, you know, if Microsoft decides they're going to get into the game. But we do have a quite a breadth of applications. So if they get into the game, it's going to not just be in contact center, it's going to be across the board in everything that we do. So it's quite a, quite a few applications that they would have to step on toes of all their current partners that have these point solutions. So I, I don't really think that's a, a strong possibility, but I, I think we'll see some stuff from Microsoft come out in some limited ways that uh, might be considered competitive, but it, uh, there are so many opportunities out there 
I don't really see that as a revenue impacting or growth impacting over time. Right. Right. Well, gaming it out, you're, you're like, if we have to wear the hat of Microsoft, you have to think that you're probably thinking out loud, okay, we, we created this partner system. We want to encourage right. folks to become partners with us and maybe build out applications, maybe bigger right. than we can, or that we just don't want to allocate right. capital to. They come in as a partner. So if they go in and try and step on those toes, like what does that tell you right. for, to others that might want to partner with them to bet out other applications? So right. I, I can see where you're thinking, where your thinking is there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I don't know what Sacha's thinking when he's, you know, mapping out the strategy. Clearly, he's done a fantastic job. But, um, you know, you look where Microsoft's going, it's really the core, you know, their core business that they're sticking with and not, you know, not the external pieces so much. Yeah. But um, I will add one more thing. And we have had many conversations with Microsoft. They said, if you, have, if you really want to make sure you never compete with Microsoft, develop vert vertical applications because Microsoft does not do that. And that's one of the benefits of working with an organization like Fiserv, where we have our applications tailored specific to the bank and credit union market. So we, we can offer things that even if Microsoft or somebody else does come out with a great product, I still have better integration and better features for that market. Got it. All right. So you just hit on something, I, I, if, if, if it's okay to talk about here, um, the partnership with Fiserv and, and yeah. basically indicating that kind of the initial go to market, the main sector you're looking at is credit unions and banks and whatnot. So can you tell us a little bit about that partnership? Because I feel like that's more indicative of maybe some other partnerships if you wanted to go, you know, some to other verticals. Yeah, we've enjoyed a great partnership uh, with, with Fiserv. In fact, they started out um, and they still sell today our IVR, which stands for interactive voice response, but might be more commonly known as bank by phone. Everyone's done that. And so uh, virtually every most of the Fiserv banks and credit unions that run a Fiserv core, if you were to call in, if you were a customer of that bank or a member of that credit union, it's probably an Altogen bank by phone application you know, that you're interacting with. And so um, they got down the line with that and said, we can do more. And in fact, because our IVR was built on our PBX, they said, geez, we can just buy some phones and hang it off this IVR. We can sell a phone system. Yeah, you guys can. So they started, <laughs> that's really how they got started selling the phone system. And uh, so we did that for several years. And uh, of course, the Fiserv keeps acquiring companies. And you know, I think they've acquired at least 12, 12 different vendors that sell, that develop core systems for banks and credit unions. And we have now integrated with all 12 of those, which gives us a, a leg up because we're the only vendor that has done that. But Fiserv also is very cloud-centric and they want to put all their customers in the cloud. And a lot of those customers, because we've been working with them so long, we're on-premise. So now they're migrating those customers to our new um, geo-redundant PBX platform. Uh, the IVR platform is already hosted in the cloud. And that's why that we work with them on our omnichannel contact center because we have the same integrations into the Fiserv uh, core database that um, our, our competitors just don't enjoy access to. And so they actually sell this as a Fiserv solution. Their sales reps get comped on it as if it's a Fiserv solution. And um, they do have a new product they call DNA. That's a core system for banks. And they essentially bundle our solutions in with the, the DNA, which is you know, many millions of dollars um, when, they, when they deliver that to their customers so they can deliver the best customer experience possible with their solutions. So yes, it's, uh, we expect that to continue to grow you know, as they're uh, getting out there and as our solutions are becoming available also. Got it. So, so it was... It was a conscious decision, obviously, to go into banks and credit because all right, we're already working with Fiserv. Let's let's give them more. 
you know, because they are downstream partners, but right. is, was that the thought process or is there, or were, was, are there other verticals that you're, you're also targeting? That was one. We'll have to tell you that was before my time, but I think I'll have to call it a brilliant marketing strategy because apparently <laughs> the marketing VP decided they were going to have an advertisement in um, community banker magazine. And as I understand the story, they got exactly one response to their ad and it was Fiserv. And so I guess their close rate was 100%, but that's how that started because uh, Fiserv, um, the reason they called is because uh, the IVR, IVR they were using got acquired by one of their competitors. And so they were basically you know, out of luck and uh, needed a new IVR. So that's how that got started. But yes, absolutely. We are looking at other verticals. Uh, healthcare is a top vertical as well. We can do a lot of very similar things in the healthcare market that we're able to do you know, in the financial services market. But um, yeah, well, we haven't, we don't have a partner in the healthcare space like we do you know, with Fiserv that, you know, has such a tremendous account ownership. But um, yeah, we, we are going to branch into at least healthcare going forward uh, because those organizations are also adopting teams and they, they need extended capabilities uh, that let's say other vendors can't offer that we have available. Got it. So the focus right now is on execution. More or less. I mean, you just announced all these new solutions. You got right. Fiserv. So is that is that the thought process? Yeah, absolutely. We're going through a lot of deployments right now. So yeah, it has been, the focus has been on getting product out the door. And now that we're starting to do that, yeah, now it's coming down to the execution. We have have uh, new products that we can sell and, um, you know, getting our partners ramped up, getting customers through their pilot phases and onto, uh, you know, bigger and uh, bigger and better orders, I guess we can say. Um, that's what we're working on at the moment. Got it. All right. So I got a few questions for you from a, a, you know, corporate perspective as CEO of a public company, you know, a big, uh, a big thing a lot of folks love to hear about and want to learn a bit more is, you know, the CEO's capital allocation strategy. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on capital allocation, whether, especially where you're at currently as a company, you know, because yep. it's one thing to say in general, do are you going to deploy, do MA, do this, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. But, it, but it really all depends on where you're at currently as the company. So how, how are you thinking about your capital allocation as you exist right now and where you want to be? Yeah, well, I think with uh, capital allocation, really, you know, there are, as you know, many different avenues. But uh, the number one for us, I think, where we can put that money to use the best is via acquisition. And so that is at the top of our list to look for complementary partners. Initially, what we're looking for is a, uh, a Microsoft partner that's very well skilled in, in, micro, in what they call the Microsoft technology stock, which is Teams, Azure, Azure Cognitive Services, Power BI, and the whole Power Suite. Because when we're in there selling to customers, particularly the mid-sized to large enterprise customers, that's what they have. And when they want to do integrations, that's what we integrate to. And, you know, being coming from the kingdom communication space, we don't have that broad base of expertise, you know, in our, you know, in our rank and file employees at the moment. And so those, that organization, once we're able to solidify a deal, be critically important to us. And it's not just to drive additional services revenue. It's really more about driving additional SaaS revenue because we can extend those uh, deployments uh, and get into more parts of the organization if we're integrating with their internal business systems. Yep. So that's definitely number one. Got it. Is there a number two or, or should I go to my, should I go number, to my next? One? Number two is like, Hey, if that fails, you know, no, that's, that's the, that's the fallback strategy. So yeah, there's, 
there's always a number two, but I think number, you know, I think we're doing fine on number one. Fair enough. All right. Uh, good, good stuff. So uh, listen, I, 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 like I said, I've, I've seen uh, Altagen present in many different events and that you've been on various platforms that, that we work with. So, you know, my, my question is uh, how much if it all have your shareholders influence some of your decision-making process? Have they at all? Have they, haven't they? Cause I know there's some smart folks that, that are, that are looking at the company. I don't know if so much the decision-making process. I think they, they uh, give good feedback and, you know, many of them introduce us to prospective partner opportunities, uh, actually working with one right now that came from a shareholder that you know well, and uh, I think we'll have a nice uh, business partnership with them, but they also, you know, comment on, let's say the business metrics and things, which I think is very valuable. And what kind of business metrics do shareholders care about so we can make sure it doesn't really change how we're doing business, but make sure we're paying attention to those things so we can be reporting on those and uh, you know be able to be more transparent uh, with our shareholders. The challenge has been we're waiting on new products. You know, I'm not getting the growth that I expected, but I think that's going to change pretty shortly here. What, what, what uh, on that point, you know, in like that being kind of the main gripe, it sounds like amongst the, the shareholder bit, like if, if I may ask, you know, what, what, what were some of the reasons for why it, it, it's taken a while to get to where you're at and getting, getting, getting product out the door? I, I really think it boils down to, I think it's, you know, probably just maybe being a little bit over aggressive and how quickly we could build things. Mm. And um, you know, that, I'll take, you know, credit or responsibility for that. But it, it really has come down to, you know, now that I've got uh, the benefit of uh, 2020 hindsight, that we had too many projects jammed through our development organization at one time uh, to get everything out in a, you know, really in an orderly fashion. And so uh, we got to QA and our QA's quality assurance. So yeah, we can build something, but now we've got a QA, a quality assurance group that needs to test it and it goes back and forth. And I think um, the thing, all the different pieces that we're building yeah, just a log jam that. So we had to kind of stop and say, guys, let's just get out the door what we're working on. Forget the new stuff because the existing stuff and what we refer to, at least what I refer to in our earnings calls as phase one solutions. This is a tremendous amount of new software that we're coming out with just with phase one. Plenty for us to sell. Let's get that out the door. Let's make those enhancements that you never know what enhancements customer wants till they start using it. Make those enhancements. And then we'll go on to the extended capabilities. We've got a full roadmap that'll last us for years. But yeah, we want to, you know, trying to, I think, get the organization, everybody in the same mindset, first things first. And I think that's where we're at today. And, and to play devil's advocate, I mean, you're in an industry that is moving, you know, a thousand miles a minute, right? I mean, oh, yeah. how, how has it been? I mean, that's a struggle in and on itself just to stay focused. So how, how, how have you been able to do it? Well, everyone's pretty well in tune with the industry, at least, you know, those folks that are responsible for making decisions or sales folks that are out there selling things. So there's a lot of noise out there. And um, it does make it easier when you're focused on Microsoft because we know what they're good at and what they're not. And we know when our competitors are uh, blowing smoke, which they do a lot talking about their team's integration, because when we get to a partner or a customer, they see right through that. It might be easy to fool somebody that isn't living and breathing this every day. But, um, but we see the opportunities and Microsoft keeps advancing you know, their capabilities, which gives us the opportunity to advance our applications. And it's just better right, to stay focused in that area and uh, to succeed. So uh, yeah, I haven't found that being a real challenge. I think our bigger challenge has been we want to do too much too soon. 
Got it. All right. So my, my next question then is, and this is, you know, from what you can tell us as, as much as you can, you know, um, what does, what does winning look like for the company? You know what, what right. I, I'm sure you get this all the friggin' time. So I, you know, I'm, I'm no, I'm no different, uh, but you know, what, what is that thesis that if realized, you know, these are the inflection points that will lead to that, that goal or that, that fast growth and shareholder value that you're envisioning. Yeah, well, first of all, I should tell you that I'm a big fan of Yogi Berra, so it's not over till it's over. And uh, so there is no end game, right? There's not a goal line. And so it really is, um, you know, right now what we're focused on is achieving 30% annual growth. And I feel like if we achieve sustainable 30% annual growth, that's a win. Now, you never stop executing, right? You've got you to stick with it. But that's our, that's our measurement and our target for success. Got it. And then I also have to ask the other side. What does failure look like? <laughs> well, as failure, I guess, and we just really have to look at that in financial terms, right? If we're just not successful selling our products, even if we're profitable, if we're just going to chug along, even at 5% revenue growth, yeah, we're aware nobody cares. And gotcha. that, although if you're still employing folks and you're still quote unquote successful as a company, it's a failure from, from our perspective of where we, where we want to be. What gets you the most excited? To when you're waking up in the morning, you know, I'm the president, CEO, and chairman of <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pumped about this. What, what, what right. is that? Well, I do look in the mirror a couple of times and see, I am president of this company. Yeah. So uh, after I get over that, that's right. The, uh, no, I think the wins, I just love the customer wins or big reseller wins. Big reseller wins are probably a little less exciting. It's great because there's great potential, but, you know, we don't have a uh, pen to paper on revenue. But yeah, the big customer wins. Um, you know, that we're able to get and, you know, proves that we can do it. And we know that those will lead to even further, you know, further big customer wins and more wins within that account as well, because these enterprise customers, it's not just one, it's not, you just sell to, uh, let's say Ocean Spray, which is one of our customers, right? I get to sell to all kinds of groups with Ocean Spray that are that big. And so, yeah, that's, that's the most exciting part to, um, to see those wins. Got it. And that's what and, keeps everybody going, right? It's, that's the name of the game, right? It's all about winning, really. And okay. it is a, it's, I'll have to then quote Vince Lombardi, you know, winning is not the only thing. Winning is everything. So that's, that's what we're focused on. Winning, you know, and, and if Vince Lombardi was the, uh, the chairman of Alta, he'd say winning and sales. And uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> mutually inclusive. Um, yes, they, can't do one without the other. So to close us out here, and, and by the way, thank you so much. You, you've given some great answers here today. You know, uh, do you enjoy being a public company CEO? I mean, look, it's not an easy job, you know, no matter yeah. big or small your firm is. I mean, you got to end up talking to geniuses like me, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what do you enjoy about being a public company CEO or, or what are some of the struggles as well? Well, yeah, I think probably the biggest struggle, I'll start with the struggles first. We'll end on a positive note. The struggles are we're a pretty small company. And uh, when we want to try to, to execute a growth strategy, right, we have to be profitable, right? We, and, and so it does constrain us a little bit on some of the things that we'd like to do. We'd maybe like to invest a little bit more, a little faster to do some things, but that might uh, mean we show some quarterly losses. And, uh, you know, we did, and it's not well received, right? Then it just, it's hard to say, hey, don't worry about it, guys, we'll make up for it later. Um, now, once you, if you start out that way, like let's say many high growth companies have and continue to do, uh, then, then it's okay. But um, getting to that profitable level and then not falling back. So it does, it, it, the quarterly results, you know, does kind of constrain some of the things that we like to do. So that's probably the downside. I think the upside is 
you know, even with a small company for all, every employee is a shareholder. And so they have some liquidity um, that they do, simply don't have with a private company. So, and it is nice for the employees once we can start growing this, this company, right, that they can see in addition to their normal salaries, you know, they're, they're the stock options that they have appreciate in value. It's, you know, it's like a Christmas bonus every year. So, and it gets them excited. So that's the good part. Very cool. And of course, talking to geniuses like me. Yeah, yeah well, sure. That, I, uh, I no. thought that was a given, but absolutely. The, the, the given, <laughs> of course. Well, Jerry, with that, I think you said it all. Uh, I, uh, where, where can our audience go and find more information uh, to keep following along the Altagen story? Well, you can always, uh, they can visit our website at altagen.com. Uh, there is, uh, if you want to stay tuned with our newsletter, you can sign up for a newsletter. We push something out uh, typically once a month and try to keep folks abreast of what's going on. Very good. All right. Well, Jerry, thank you again so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I'm, I look forward to the next update. Sounds good. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.